Hi everyone, my name is Amber. And I'm Kayla. And you just walked into a Best Buds Book Club meeting. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for coming back to our podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. So editing this podcast was not fun. Was it not? No, it was awful. I didn't realize that when we started a podcast that I'd have to sift through an hour and a half of content to just get 15 minutes of, of real stuff. Yeah, it's, it is actually crazy because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Is it crazy? It is crazy. It's okay. so crazy. It is hard. It's really hard. It's challenging. And like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I always felt like it was just super easy to make a podcast. Like I feel like they sit down and they talk and then they're done and that's it like i don't think i've ever thought of the logistics of making a podcast we'll get better yeah we will i hope we will we will on top of the podcast though we also have full-time jobs so this isn't our full-time job we we still have our day job right we haven't quit it yet so how hard was it for you to find time to read last week i probably had like maybe an hour or two hours in the evening so like right before bed And that was like really pushing it because I have been so tired the last week. Amber and I actually work at a bank. The last week I have had to actually go into work, but I actually, you know, started the book because I know that we needed to read our first two parts. And once I started reading it, the book is really interesting. So I was into it. I love it so far. It's really good. I found it very difficult to find time to read. I think more for me, it wasn't really finding the time. It was finding the motivation to do it. Is I think I was just like, oh, I have like 101 things to do. And do I want to throw in reading right now? But I was like, I have to. So I did. I almost feel like reading is like a luxury sometimes. Because it's like, (laughs) as adults, we have so many responsibilities. And just to like take time away from those responsibilities to sit down and just read is like literally a luxury. For me, it was finding time. I have time. I just waste a lot of it. I just don't know how to manage it. Yeah. I'd we like need, to. I need, we need a, I need time, a, a... We need a book on time management. <laughs> Next book. We'll be doing time management. No. The last book that I actually was reading was um, A Den of Vipers. Okay. I haven't heard of that you one. You haven't heard of that? No. It's a, a spicy book. Oh, is it? It's not very good. Really? Yeah, it's like really bad. It's not good at all spicy book it's not a good one <laughs> it's crazy i feel like if you, when you you read a lot of books you can read a book and know it's not a good book i don't think you need to read a lot of books to know this isn't a good book yeah is this it like middle first... school like a middle school could have wrote this book or... i hope a middle schooler didn't write this book <sighs> the book on uh goodreads mm-hmm. has like a 3.5 rating oh wow and like one two three four five six seven eight Eight of the most recent, I think, out of ten reviews are all, like, horrible. Really? Yeah. This is definitely on my did-not-finish list. Are you going to finish it? I don't. I feel like since I got so far in it, I'm, like, 400 pages in or something. I feel like since I got so far in, I feel like I just want to finish it just to finish it. But it's so cringy. It's, like, has zero plot. And, like, that's probably, like, what most people are saying about the book is that, like, they read 600 pages and they still don't know what the plot of the book was. How are people reading this? I just don't understand. So I literally Googled, did not finish Den of Vipers. And there's like 
so many people who haven't finished it because it's awful. You know what's crazy? When I was in college, I had a teacher. She was my, like, social studies teacher, and she was an author of spicy books. Really? Yeah. It was wild. What was her name? I, I, I couldn't even tell you. You'll have to find her. You yeah. She was, her a, she was an older lady, uh, super nice, but, like, really, like, technical with teaching. She literally told us. And I looked her up, and she was legit. She was literally an author. And I'm like, this is insane. How is this my social studies teacher? This little tiny old woman. But but the last book that I actually read was called My Sister, the Serial Killer. And I went into this bookstore. It was on the shelf. I liked the cover. Um, I usually am one to kind of draw into the cover. And I read it in, like, one night because it's not super long. It was probably, like... What was the name? Um, My Sister, the Serial Killer. I was like, that sounds dope. What kind like, of book is that? It is about... I won't, obviously, give it away, but it's about this girl, and she has a sister, and her sister is a serial killer. So, back to the topic of discussion, which is the book that we've been reading for the last week. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, not The Secret Life of Addie LaRue. Right. Not The Secret Life, the TV show. On ABC, the, not Freeform. On ABC Family, not Freeform, <laughs> with the girl who gets pregnant. Not that show. This is not that. Okay. <laughs> this is not that. <laughs> this is not that show. All right. So if you're keeping up with us and reading along, you should be done with at least the first two parts. So... Um, I don't know if I said last week 158, but it, I mean, it should be obvious. You want to finish a whole chapter before you put your book down. Do you take off the sleeve of your books? I do. I don't want the sleeve to get all smashed up. Sometimes the way I hold the book, the sleeve's just basically falling off. And the sleeves are so nice. I don't want to ruin them. I actually have, I mean, I don't have the special edition, but I do have um, on the front of my book, there are five embossed birds in different stages of taking flight. Because when you start reading... Mm-hmm. You see that there's like an image of a, a sculpture in the beginning of the birds, the right. exact birds. So right. when I was taking notes about it, mm-hmm. I wrote, there are five birds in five different stages of taking flight. And in the description of the statue, it has that exa- exact same like wording almost. So you did say you have a different version. So did yours have the same thing or did you have something else? Um, No. So mine has a front and a back image. So on the front of mine... It has just one bird that is taking flight. And then it has um, stars that almost kind of look like they're connected like a constellation. And then on the back, mine has these really pretty flowers on the top and bottom. And it says, I remember you. That's really so cute. cute. Yeah, I'm going to have to post a picture. When you started reading, mm-hmm. uh, I think I'm pretty sure yours also has the like the statue. Did you Did you know that that's not a real statue? I mean, I didn't. I guess I didn't think about it that hard. I remember reading that section and thinking, "What's the relevance of this? Like, right? Why is this here?" Um, so I remember reading that section and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> like, I don't know what this is, but I'm sure it's going to be something." I actually bookmarked it and really? I was like, "I want to look this up because this sounds really cool." It's like it said it was like a hundred and something thousand dollars. Yeah, it's like um, it said it was a uh, hundred and seventy-five thousand okay. dollars. Um, and then. You know, as you start to read more, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Right. And I was like, like you said, what's the significance of this? Is it just to, like, show art from this time period? Right. But I think it has more significance than that, obviously. 
But we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. So let's talk about the very first page, the quote. Um, it's by Estelle Magritte. So a lot of the words are French, obviously, because part of the book takes place in France. Right. So. And we are not French, so we're going to try <laughs> right. our hardest to make sure that we're pronouncing it correctly. Um, I made a notation on a little sticky note after I read that, and all I wrote was, scary, what's to come? Because it seemed really foreboding. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gave me just a, a little... I, I guess a little, a little general idea of, of, oh, okay, this is definitely going to have something to do with uh, potentially a god, and it's not going to be a, a nice one. But when you first read it, did you think that it was somebody from the book, or did you think it was like a quote from some like actual real person? I thought a real person. I didn't look it up. Um, generally, I don't tend to when I'm reading books that mm-hmm. have quotes, but I know that the author likes to put things in there like that um depending on the book they're reading that may kind of tie into what be relevant the book's gonna, right what the book's going to be about so um i didn't really think about it and you know what's crazy is that i didn't even realize that this was estelle i until that's in now. my notes right that's i literally that's exactly i i bookmarked it right because i i actually didn't even I, I obviously read the name but i mean i didn't commit it to memory or anything mm-hmm. i was just like I bookmarked it in my book, and I was like, oh, I'd like to look up this person. I never actually did. And only when I started thinking about, you know, what we were going to read during this podcast, yeah. and I was taking down notes and everything, I realized that this was the Estelle from, from the yeah, book. from the beginning of the book. Because that's what she said. She said, you know, don't – never pray to the gods who answer after dark. Right. And I have to say, <laughs> now that I've gotten deep into the book, obviously that has meaning – this is something that I kind of like that the author does. She throws things in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't explain it. And like it might, you may or may not think about it. You may think like, oh, I don't understand this. Right. I wonder if she's going to explain it. Some things you do. And then some things it's just like, oh, this is just a piece of information. And you don't think anything about it. And then like a couple pages later or like a chapter later, you get an explanation for it. Right. And I think that's really cool because she doesn't leave you in the dark too long. Yeah. But, but we're not, you know, we're not super far in yet. I was going to say that kind of unlike you, because it sounds like, like I said with the bird thing, like I, I see those things, I read them, I try to make sense of them a little bit, but I don't really like, as I'm reading, I feel like I kind of forget about those pieces. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at it again and I'm like, oh, that mm-hmm. that's insane. That literally is, is exactly what I read. Like it's a direct connection and I had no idea what it was before, so... Back to your special edition. I'm very jealous of your <laughs> special edition. But you do have, in the beginning of your book, you have a, like a little, like a neat little thing about the author. I do. Did, did that have any like relevance to the book or anything? No, I thought it was really relevant. So actually, when I started reading it, um, it's she's titled it Remembrance. And when I started reading it, I actually for just a moment thought that this was the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got into it, it's basically um, V.E. Schwab talking about how when she was younger, she, um, with a friend, uh, moved to Liverpool and was staying in a garden shed, just like wasn't really great accommodations. Um, and it resonated with me because she was basically talking about how she just took this chance to do something, even though she didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Um, and this is kind of where she actually thought up the idea of creating the book. She went on this hike 
And she said she hiked up this hill for like eight hours. And as she was walking up, like just the story kind of started generating in her mind. And she thought of the idea in 2011. And sadly, she didn't actually write the book and publish it until 2020. She really struggled to put the story together because she wanted it to be perfect. Like she mm-hmm. had just, she felt so connected to Addie that she wanted the story to be as good as it could be. And it took her so long to write. So I thought that that was cool. All right. So that brings us to where the book actually starts, like the very first pages. So mm-hmm. we're, the way that she has it structured, I really like it. She has it, you know, the location mm-hmm. and the date. And I think that's really cool because it helps us keep track of where we are because not i mean obviously it's not a spoiler but as you go on it switches between present day and and the past past, and then the past also has some like jumps so it's nice to know where we're at right um so that in the beginning it starts on july 29th 1714 in vion france disclaimer like i said before we're gonna try our best with french words we're not french right i did look at the pronunciation of vion Beyond. Yeah, so don't come at us if we mess up. <laughs> we're trying our best. We're doing our best here. <laughs> so on the first page, so we're sort of introduced to a character, Adeline. And this character is running through a field. Right. And we don't really know anything. We don't know why she's running. And then we're dumped into the present day. 2014 New York. And Adeline is at someone's apartment named Toby. And we kind of get like an explanation of how she ended up there. And like this whole thing. What were your overall thoughts on the Toby interaction? So I don't feel like it gives us a ton of detail about the curse. Um, but from this interaction, what I picked up is kind of how sad she was. Essentially can't find true happiness uh, with another person. I could feel how sad Adeline must be because although it's kind of cool that you just get to live forever and, mm-hmm. and do whatever you want... It comes with a lot of drawbacks, and one of those is not being able to hold people in your life. Right, and she actually kind of revealed very early on that she's been around for a long time. Right. So we know. We know that the person in the beginning and and this person, and especially when she starts to try to write her name out, we know that they're the same person. Um, I wasn't entirely certain if it was kind of like a reincarnation sort of thing. Yeah. But I think after, you know, just a couple pages, you, you realize that it's not. And I actually... One of the quotes that was stated was a moment trapped in amber. And she actually says this multiple times in the beginning. She says it in a couple different ways, but she explicitly says a moment trapped in amber. Yeah. And first, I like anything that includes my name. (laughs) But I also thought it was very cleverly descriptive because to her, these moments aren't anything but moments because they never become anything more than just a moment to that person. Exactly. And so what does it matter if she's had several of these moments It's kind of sad, though, that she won't forget them. She will always remember. Going from 1700s to 2014, I can just, like, imagine how sad she must be and how many moments she must have had in the last 300 years and, like, just where her mindset is right now. And it sucks because although it may really hurt her, it's all she has. Mm-hmm. It's like the only kind of connections that she can make. And so she's just going to keep doing it because mm-hmm. she doesn't have anything else. So as a normal person, you would think if, if something keeps hurting you, mm-hmm. you're going to not want to do that. And anymore. she she said that. This is the hard part is like leaving. Right. And if I stay, then I'm going to know that I won't, I won't want to try to come back again. Yeah. 
I also wanted to talk about something else that I, like a major thing throughout the entire book. Addie is literally always stealing. So we see her steal the first thing on her birthday. And uh, she goes into like a, a store and she sees, what was it, like a coat or something. And she went in there mm-hmm. and she had the, the woman take her to the back so that she could try it on. And obviously from what we've learned uh, with the Toby interaction is that when somebody leaves a room or like a door closes or something like that, they completely forget the interaction. They forget her entirely. And then that's that. Right. So she comes out and the woman's like, oh, and she didn't realize that Addie was there because she didn't remember bringing her back there. And then Addie just walks out like she just takes the whole outfit. And she basically said, I don't care what the price is because I'm going to take it. Right. And like, I, I mean, I guess I can sort of understand because as somebody who can't be remembered, you can't really get a job because then they're not going to remember hiring you. So how right. do you make money? And like, how do you get things? And then there was, like, the ring. She has this ring. It falls out of her pocket. And she just kind of, like, looks at it. Like, she, she can't stand the ring. She can't stand the thought. She says, like, it's, it's like a, a reminder of, like, something bad. And she just leaves it. And she takes her coat and she leaves. Right. I remember thinking, like, why is she leaving it behind? Right. I actually liked this scene because prior to this, she's with Toby She's kind of talking about how this works. And so Toby wakes up, mm-hmm. doesn't remember her. But I liked that we kind of saw the curse in action. Mm-hmm. Like she goes in, lady gives her to the, puts her in the dressing room, um, comes back out, lady doesn't remember her at all. So I was right. like, oh, that's how quickly it works. Like the mm-hmm. lady just walked away, came back, it's done. And it's kind of crazy here because we've all kind of read or seen movies about people who are immortal going, touching on, like, Addie being a thief, those people are immortal, but they're not forgotten, so they can, over time, amass wealth Mm -hmm. and and items. Right. And Addie has to steal because she can't do that. And she's kind of crazy. And she's constantly like, oh, I don't have any money. I I don't have money for this. Like, she just keeps thinking about that because Mm -hmm. she doesn't. But she has, like, a few things. Like, she said that she has this Leather jacket that she got in New Orleans in the 60s or something. Right. She's got the ring, and obviously she's got the clothes on her back, but she doesn't really mention any other possessions. And so I thought it was just kind of like, oh, this ring, is this something that she recently acquired because she was able to just leave it behind and just leave so quickly? Right. Um, But a little bit, like, further in, she reaches in her pocket and the ring is there, so it's got... Something to do with this curse, obviously. Exactly. And then we're back in 1698 in France. And I think at some point we're, like, introduced to the ring. So this is what I was saying. Like, I liked how the author would bring something up. And you're like, what the heck is the significance of this? And then she's like, well, let me tell you. Right. Right in the next chapter. Yeah. So in France, this is obviously before the first incidents on the page that we read before, which was in 1714. So we've gone back in time in France. Addie's a little girl in this chapter. In uh, 1698. Yeah, in in 1698, she's a little girl, and we're introduced to two different characters, her father and another little girl named Isabel. So I want to kind of talk about these two characters because I feel like they're really important. The first, what were your thoughts on Addie's relationship with her father? Like, what did you gather from her and her father interacting in the beginning? I feel like they had a really good father-daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. She felt very connected, close to him. 
Um, she liked to watch him work. She always wanted to go with him to the French market that they call Le Mans. Le, Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. <laughs> and yeah, I think that she really looks up to her father. Um, he is a woodworker. And she does kind of like go over like what this woodwork is. Right. It's like a tongue twister. Um, it's like trinkets, toys and things. And she talked about how she had lots of them as kids and she, you know, played right. with the toys that he would make. And so when she actually goes into the market with her dad, she gets paper and charcoal. And she, this is kind of where she starts to, I guess, find her calling, her love of art. Yeah. And I think that's what her main connection with her father is, is that her father is an artistic person right. who's making woodwork, right? That's his profession is that he makes these things and he goes and he sells them. Right. And Addie likes to draw. She likes to dream and envision these things and, and put them onto paper, which is probably what her dad does. He sees things, he likes them, he dreams of them. And he tells her about all these like fantastic things in the world of knights and princesses and Paris and all that. Right. So her dad's a dreamer and she's a dreamer and that's why she's really connected with him. But I also want to talk about the other character that's introduced very early on, Isabel. Isabel, I think, is Adeline's complete opposite. Yes. We see Isabel several times in the times that we're looking into Addie's past. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So the first time that we see her, it's when she, when Adeline is on her way to the French market with her father. And she's talking about how she told Isabel about her trips. And Isabel was just kind of like, eh. Uh, I like I like it here. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, do, I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to go outside of a <laughs> tiny French town. Right, and and while Adeline doesn't actually interact with her, we don't actually see Adeline speaking to Isabel. Yeah, she refers to her as a friend, and it sounds like Isabel's like the same age as her, so they're growing up together. And uh, we see this throughout, like I said, parts one and two. She is not just an individual person. I feel like I don't feel like she represents just herself. I think she represents all the girls in this village. Right. All the girls that are conforming to what it is to be a little girl in the 1700s in this tiny little village. Right. They're supposed to be compliant, you know, simple. They're going to grow up. They're going to do what they need to do. They're going to become wives. They're going to take care of the house, take care of their husband, and then die. And right. it's what it is. But obviously, we see in the very beginning, Addie has more personality than that. She's not like... She's like, I want to go see things. Right. So looking at the page here, it actually says that when Addie kind of came up to Isabel to tell her about the trip she was going on, Isabel was kind of just sitting in the grass putting flowers into her hair mm -hmm. or making flowers into crowns. So it almost seems like that's just a thing that a little girl would do. Mm -hmm. And then we see Addie grow up and get older. So as she's getting older, we're introduced to her mother and her mother... It seems very strict and stringent on what Addie does. Like, she's trying to keep Addie on track for life. Right. Like I said, like, Isabel is that little girl who's on track for life, and Addie's not. And she needs to be disciplined into doing that. So her mom's like, no, you're not going to the market anymore. You're too old. You're too old for games. You need to start, like... Becoming a woman. You need... Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, we know that Addie likes to draw, and she's very artistic, and her mom's holding her back on that, because what use is that to Addie? Right. What use is that to her... When she needs to learn how to be a woman, to be a wife, to be a mother, right? Yeah. She's still kind of young at this point. I think she yeah, might only be like 13 um, or 16. When they introduce her mom, she is 12. And I actually made a note here um, because it talks about how they're at church and 
how Addie almost feels like she's not even connected to that the way that everyone else is. Mm -hmm. And then this is where we meet Estelle. Yeah, so Estelle, like we said, that's the woman from the beginning from the quote. Um, But Estelle is the one who teaches her how to pray to the old gods. And she tells her about the tokens and everything. Mm -hmm. And Addie's like, oh, well, you know, I can do both. I can, you know, pray to the old gods and, you know, pray to the new god. Right. They said that she's kind of the older woman. And and Addie kind of describes her as um, being a tree at the heart of of their village like she has certainly never been young but she kind of sprang up out of nowhere and her roots are really deep in this town so everyone really knows estelle Mm -hmm. um but estelle is is not like everyone else she doesn't really fit into the norms of the village and so in a way she's like addy kind of apart from addy's dad inspiring her by his love of art and creativity i mean estelle inspires addy to like be herself right and i i i feel like estelle is the one who's getting addy into all this trouble like you know telling her like oh you don't have to do right exactly what everyone tells you to do be yourself because i can be myself and addy's like oh well if you can be yourself then i want to be myself right and i made a note here that estelle is very much addy's mother's counterpart yes she's the absolute opposite of addy's mother where Addie, I think, looks up to Estelle as, like, a motherly figure. So she's like, I want to be like Estelle. So that's when she starts, you know, kind of getting into what Estelle's telling her to do. Yeah, and she actually goes, um, Estelle kind of becomes the person that she will run to when things are not kind of working in her life. So in this chapter, um, Addie's mom wants her to not go to the market anymore because, like you said, she wants her to start kind of conforming to their lifestyle and um estelle's always the person that she goes uh to touch base with and to kind of connect with and this is where estelle you know kind of teaches her hey if you kind of want well she things in life then this is what you might want to do you might want to pray to the old gods and she didn't actually come up to addy and be like hey addy i have a secret oh no no. it was like (laughs) addy was the one that was being very prideful and or prideful she's being very prying about it and estelle's like mm, i don't want to tell you and addy's like addy right. knows estelle she's like i know if i just stand here long enough she's gonna tell me about it and that's what happened right. so i think addy knows estelle she's got her like wrapped around her and estelle i think likes addy because estelle doesn't have a man she doesn't have any children, children. so i kind of i kind of see estelle as like a grandmother like when mom says no Addie runs to Grandma Estelle, and she's like, Grandma. <laughs> hey, Grandma. But Ma- also, Mom said I can't go to the market anymore. What can I do? Also, we, we don't really know a lot about Estelle's past right. from the first two mm-hmm. uh, sections of the book. So it's possible that Estelle sees herself in Addie as she was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another reason why they probably connect on a deeper level. Right. And so, like I said, the this part of the book, it brings us through Addie's younger life very quickly, just showing us the most important times in her life growing up, um, introducing us to who she is and, and trying to kind of explain how she became who she is as an adult right. that we saw in 2014. And we see that Addie is a, an avid prayer to these old gods. Now that she's getting older, it sounds like her main focus is to not be held down. She wants to be like Estelle, like right. I said. She has all these dreams and all these fantasies. And when she turns 16, she has all these guys that are, like, looking at her. And this is 
the, around the time where she should be, you know, looking into who she's going to have as a husband. Right. And all these guys are interested in her. And she's like, mm, he's too ugly. No, I don't like his personality. He's very boring. I don't like this guy. So she's very picky, very choosy. And she's like, right. I don't want this. And she starts to, like, pray to the gods to, like, get her out of it. They don't answer, like, oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. They right. don't say anything to her. Like, hey, girl, I got you. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> and they don't just, like, you know, advert their attention Things happen. And so one of the things that happened was one of the guys fell ill and then died. I'm like, girl, you killed a dude (laughs) because you don't want to be with him. That's crazy. Right. Like, you just say no. (laughs) You don't. I mean, but we know that it's not easy to just say no because we learn a little bit later on when she says no, nobody listens to her. And then we also see that she's been dreaming up a guy. She has a little imaginary boyfriend. She gave all these features to. She talks to him. She has, like, fantasies with him. Right. Obviously, he's not a real person, but she talks about him like he is. And I think that's kind of why she has such high standards. She's like, oh, I don't want to be with this ugly guy. I don't want to be with this annoying guy. I don't want to be with this very monotone guy because there's better things. I, I deserve better. And sure. You sh- you deserve exactly what you think you deserve. Right. You I think can have high also, standards. I think she's also not trying to limit herself mm-hmm. to the village. And this is like kind of another example of how she just wants to go out and do her own thing and have adventures. And she wants this person in Paris and she wants to, to hear everything and mm-hmm. see everything and not be confined to beyond like, you know, Isabel and like her mom and her dad and everyone else that's right. living there. What I kind of resonated with is it kind of reminded me of Addie being very similar to, like, Elizabeth Bennett from uh, Pride and Prejudice Mm -hmm. or, like, Joe March from Little Women. Both really strong women who just knew that they were worth more Mm -hmm. than what society was trying to give them. Another thing that I really like about how the author writes is that she's using a lot of repetition and she uses, like, repeating syntax throughout Mm -hmm. the entire book, um, obviously to bring emphasis to what she's saying to say like oh this is very important i like that um and at the end of the chapter there's like a little part where it's like a dreamer scorns her mother a dreamer mourns her father a dreamer warns estelle and that just like that just like sums up their personalities and literally the same like they're saying the same thing right but like it just sums it up like her mother's just like oh a dreamer why is she a dreamer and her dad's like She's a dreamer, and I can't do anything for her. Right. And Estelle's like, girl, don't be a dreamer. Girl, you know what's go- You know right. what's going to bring you. Exactly. I like that. All right. And then we're back in present day. So we haven't really seen a lot of Addie in the present day so far. So far, we've only seen her, like, you know, with Toby and like, stealing that stuff. Right. And then growing up in the past, right. essentially. So now well, we're back in New York uh, City of 2014. Right. So we're in New York City, March 10th, 2014. She talks about her father and she like speaks of him lovingly. So when I was thinking about the ring, I was like, oh, did something bad happen regarding her father at some mm-hmm. point where she no longer likes the ring? Or did something happen that, you know, brought the ring negative connotation? Right. And then she flat out mentions like, I've been around for 300 years. So there's a another quote in the book that I like. She said, books, she has found, are a way to live a thousand lives or find strength in a very long one. So she, she sees her life, she's viewing her life as a long book because 
she doesn't need books to live in alternate lives. Right. Because she's been around for so long and she, and who knows how long she's going to be around anymore. She even mentioned several times, like when she's thinking about things, she's like, oh, I've had coffee in Paris, Los Angeles, and, uh, Ireland and and I've been to Instable and and all these yeah. places. So I, we know that she's throughout the years been to all these places. So she doesn't need books for that. She needs books to survive, basically. Right. That's funny that you brought that all up because I actually marked that section as well when she mm-hmm. starts talking about um, using needing stories to preserve herself. So she mentioned several times up until this point, this darkness that whispers to her. Right. But this is one of those things where the author brings up something, doesn't explain it right away, and she kind of keeps it going. Like, it's this, like, little secret that we're like, what is the secret? Right. So what did you think about the darkness before we were really kind of uh, given an explanation of what it was? Um. Well, I noted first, there are, like you said, there's several spots before they actually introduce this darkness where Addie's kind of either hearing him or she's like kind of thinking about things he's possibly said in the past. So I notated, um, like, is he actually speaking to her? Whatever he is before we actually meet him, um, I have a bad feeling about him. What's, what has Addie done? Like, mm-hmm. how has she gotten herself into this situation with this character? Because he's obviously not a good person. Right. And actually, when I was thinking about this darkness, I was just thinking that it was like Addie kind of like like Addie's little devil on her shoulder, like talking to her, being like, you know, you're worthless, you know. Right. Then she ends one of the chapters with never pray to the gods who answer after dark. So it's been very obvious from the get go that she did that, that this is what Addie has done. Right. She obviously prayed to some gods after the after dark and something happened that caused people to never be able to remember her. Right. And. Speaking of which, um, I I had a lot of questions as I was reading about the parameters of her curse. Like you mentioned, like we were kind of like introduced to it. Like, you know, when she went to the clothing store, she just had to leave a room and we're kind of learning little tidbits about it. So back in France, um, July 29th, 1714. So now we're back to the same day from the very first page of the, the story. And we're learning more about what's happened that day, why she was running away. Right. And we see that Addie is now 23 and she's to be married off against her will. So this is what I was saying. She basically was told, you need to be a wife to this guy whose wife died. He has three children and you need to be their mother. And she's like, no, thank you. And they're like, "Mm, you're going to. And so that's what's happening. She's, she's being forced to marry this dude. Um, and whether she likes him or not, like that sucks. You know, there's arranged marriage today in other countries. And could you imagine someone's like, you need to marry this guy. And you're like, but I have things I want to do. Right. Like, I have so many things that I want to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a mom right now. Yeah. And especially for Addie, because th- this whole time she's she's been this big dreamer. So I'm sure mm-hmm. it's not uh, in any way her dream to marry someone, not only someone that she does not love, but this person has children already. Like, the only reason he's marrying is for having a wife. It's not for loving right. her in any type of way, not for accepting her for who she is. It's, hey, I have three kids. You're going to be my wife, and you're going to take care of me, and you're going to take care of these kids that I have. Well, I don't necessarily think it's him that's like, no, you're going to marry me. It's her parents who right. are like, you're too old to be putting up this 
<laughs> playing these damn games. Yeah, you're too old to be playing games right now. Like this is your this is this is literally a the, once in a million right. This is a once in a million like chance that you're getting right now, and you're going to take it. You don't have the option to say no, and so that's what happens. Right. And now we're now it's clear that the first page was her wedding day and her running away because she doesn't want to marry this guy. And you know what? Honestly, good for her. Up until this point, I'm like, Addie, I don't know if you're a good person. You're stealing a lot. Like, I don't know. Like, you're killing off dudes. But that, that I think she deserved. She deserved to be able to run away from her wedding. And right. I don't and know she, where I'm going with this. She, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> killed off dudes because she didn't actually kill anyone. She prayed and then, mm. you know, he died. So she, <laughs> she knew what she did. She knew that it was her. It's not like, oh, that's just a coincidence. So we learn that this is the same day that Addie is running in the field from the very first page right. that we start reading. Um, and she's so desperate to get away that she runs into the forest and she starts praying to, to the gods. And she's like, please, I don't want to do this. Please help me. Please, please, please. Nobody's answering her. And she's just so desperate that she just keeps doing it. And she doesn't realize that the sun is setting and she keeps praying. And then eventually it's now dark and she's praying after dark and a God answers her. Yep. Estelle warned you. Don't do it, girl. You right. Did it anyways. And, and she's so desperate that she even gives up the one thing that she has left because she mentioned that she had nothing left like she had no other possessions left to to give up to these gods because estelle said you have to give them a token right and they'll answer you right so that's what the the uh the good gods the day gods do and the the last thing that she has is this wooden ring that her father gave her so there's actually another spot in this um chapter here that's kind of like uh what you brought up when they said um a dreamer her Mm -hmm. mom so they've got one here where Addie tells them that she's made a gift for her husband that she's left it at the house quote Mm -hmm. unquote that she wants to go back to get it and her mother softens approving and her father stiffens suspicious and Estelle's eyes narrow knowing so Mm -hmm. it's like again we're seeing the three different characteristics between her mom, her dad, and Estelle, and how well they know her. Like, her mom's approving, of course. Oh, you made your husband a gift. Oh, you're such a wife. That's right. wonderful. I love it. Right. And um, her mom doesn't, like, obviously her mom, like, doesn't realize that she's being shifty. Right. And her mom's just, like, kind of like, oh, she's finally, like. Leaning into this role. Right. She's right. finally accepting it, and, like, I approve. And her dad's like, mm, I know my Addie a little too much. Right. That's not happening. And Estelle's like, girl. Girl. I've always known. Right. <laughs> I've al- I always know what you're up to. <laughs> so back to the darkness. The the god finally answers her and it's at first just like a whisper and like, you know, she starts talking to him and then all of a sudden he takes form and he takes the form of her envisioned boyfriend, the the guy with the dark curl hair and the green eyes right. that she's been drawing all these years and, and fantasizing over. He's literally manipulating her and like showing her exactly what she wants to see and then she starts pleading with him like i want to be free like i don't i don't want this i don't want that i don't want this i don't want that and he's like you keep telling me what you don't want but what do you want and she's like i want to be free and he's like "Mm, i decline like he literally said i decline i died when he said that he's like no he's like um i'm good so then 
he finally, you know, she finally says, I- I'll give you my soul. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll give you what I need when I'm done living my life. I'll give you my soul and you can have that. And he's like, hmm, okay, done. And so then we start to see like what exactly has been done. She kind of like passes out or something. And then she tries to go home and she walks in and she sees her mother and she tries to talk to her mother. Her mother's like, who are you? Get out of my house. And then like her mom like brings her dad in and her dad is like, get out of my house. And Addie's just like devastated. She's like, but it's me. It's Ad. Right. And she can't say her name. She says, me, it's at, that's it. She can't say anything. Um, and then she gets kicked out by her father, which I'm sure was devastating because that's, you know, probably one of the closest people that she is, that she's been close to. Right. And then she tries to go to Estelle's house and Estelle is like understanding. Like she doesn't recognize Addie, obviously, but when Addie's like, hey, Estelle, I know you, like, this is what happened. I accidentally prayed to a god after darkness. Estelle's like, mm, girl, you shouldn't have done that. Right. I can't help you. Right. Like, I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And then she's like, well, let me actually let, let me see if I can help you. She walks inside, closes the door, forgets and then comes out. And then that's it. And then Addie's like, nope, this isn't worth it. So then she she leaves. And then we're brought back into the present day, 2014. And um, as Addie had mentioned to Toby when she was in his apartment that morning, she's or he asked her to come watch his show and she's like yeah i'll come watch your show so she does and he brushes up against her obviously not remembering her and then she walks outside and you know the the door is open and somebody's like oh, are you coming back in and she's like no not so that this is the cycle that she's ended right so she talks about how in the beginning she's like i you know if i keep staying here i'm gonna not have the the courage or the the will to keep going because it's going to hurt too much to keep, you know, losing him every day. Right. And she finally decided, like, it's going to hurt too much. After he played the song that they wrote, she's like, I think she's content. She's like, I've left a little piece of me without actually doing that because she can't. It's clear that this isn't the first person that she's done this with. We are introduced to another character named James, who is this high-profile celebrity we find out that he's gay, so they don't actually have any, like, physical relationship, but she's still using him right. for what he can provide to her. She's using them for, like, emotional gain because she can't make any connections with anybody. She uses them to make small connections every time that she gets a chance to to leave her mark. Like I said, the song. If she teaches them the song and then they're like, oh, this is my song and they add to it. And then it's like that they think it's their idea. Then they'll remember it. Right. So she left her mark where she can't leave her mark anywhere else right. in Cause, art. Because what we come to learn is that everything that Addie does mm-hmm. is undone. So like if she drops something and it breaks, uh, basically seconds later, it's back up on the counter, mm-hmm. unbroken. So this is kind of the way that she leaves her mark on people and kind of on the world as we will learn and then actually back in france um after Addie woke up nobody can remember her estelle won't doesn't remember her her parents don't remember her she results to sleeping in isabel's barn which i thought just kind of seemed like a slap in the face like right. isabel who she viewed in the beginning as this person who like basically isn't living a life right she she even said she said Isabel has lived one life or one year, but it's almost as if she's lived five in her one year. So she's, you know, she thinks of Isabel as like, you know, 
I can't believe she's she's lower than right. Not in like a nasty way, but just kind of like you're so she has no goals. Okay, right. You have no goals. You're just so okay with you're gonna be miserable. Being a mother and being a wife, like you're you're below me because I have you know ideas and And dreams. dreams. And so for Addie to have to sleep in her barn that night because she has nowhere else to go is kind of like you said a slap in the face it's like it's such a downgrade like right how am i how is it that i've just traded my life and this is what my life is right now? and it's like isabel's more successful than you because you don't have anything in it but right. isabel has a whole barn right um i had to point it out Addie stole isabel's husband's boots <laughs> like she has nothing and so when she leaves Isabel's barn, she goes to her father's shop and she takes uh, a wooden bird. Uh, before she takes the bird, though, she's like going through the trinkets and she drops some things and they break, but then they form themselves back together. And this is where she realizes that she can't do anything. Like, she can't leave any marks. And then, um, you know, she takes the bird and she decides that she's going to go and leave beyond because she has no life here she never had a life here really she has no life and she doesn't want to be reminded by that but you got to think though that this is essentially what she asked she asked the darkness to let her continue on and to like she didn't want to belong to anyone and now Mm -hmm. she she literally will not she won't ever belong to anyone she can't leave because no one will ever remember her and it's it's almost like um because she's traded her life for this darkness is going to make it as miserable as possible for her right and he does explain why he does that but it's funny you said that's exactly what she asked for i mean it's not exactly what she asked for what she asked for was to be free and he literally you know made that happen in such a way and it's i thought another thing was funny is when she had that whole interaction with the darkness she was like you have to help me. And he's like, I'm not a genie. I don't have to help you. But right. he's doing exactly what a genie, a genie would do. Would, exactly. He's twisting so, and manipulating. Right. And quote unquote, giving Addie what he want, uh, what she wants. So then after that, she decides, like I said, she was trying, she wants to leave uh, Vion. And so she decides she's going to go where she has gone before is Le, Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. When she's there, it's kind of telling of why she starts stealing because she can't do anything like she can't get a job she has no money she has no possessions she has like she feels hunger but she doesn't need to eat but it hurts like she still feels those human emotions she walks all the way there her feet hurt but her feet aren't marked and this is the author kind of going back to expand on what she had talked about in previous chapters about how Addie um, can't die, but she can feel hunger. Mm-hmm. So another just wicked part of this curse that Addie has now is that she she will know true suffering. She mm-hmm. can suffer, she can feel, but it's it's it will always just be right to the edge, never to the point where it'll actually kill her. Like you said, she will suffer and she can feel, you know, she still has her soul because she said, you can have my soul after I die. So she's still human. Right, she's not she like just, a vampire. Right. <laughs> so she has all these human wants, needs, and emotions, and she has nobody to share them with. And that's her, that's literally her curse. So she's in Le Mans for two whole days and she's like, nah, I'm going to go to Paris. So she decides that she's going to go to Paris and then we're back in 2014 and she's in this bookshop. And this is the first time that we are introduced to another character named Henry. She meets this person, Henry, 
who basically runs the bookstore. It's not his. He doesn't own it. But we see the parallels of her um, in the future and in the past because she tries to steal a book and she gets caught. The thing is, she thought that she was being sneaky and she really wasn't. So when he left the room, she's like, oh, he's not going to remember me. So she just tries to walk out. And he's like, excuse me, you know, like, you're stealing you a you're, book. You're stealing a book. But then he softens and he's like, you know, who would steal a German or was it German? Yeah. Who steals a German version of the Odyssey? Like, right. just, just you have, have it. it. Like, if you right? really need it, take it. Right. And so Addie just kind of like is like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I love this uh, bookstore as well. Um it's called The Last Word, which I thought is really cute. And um, Addie was super excited about it because it's it's something she's never found before. And Addie talks a lot about the different places that she's been, um, but how much she loves New York City because there's just so many things going on in New York, just so many things to do and discover. And it keeps her really distracted. Like, apart from these little moments that she has with these people, she can fill up the rest of her time eating and drinking and reading books and watching movies. So um, I thought that was cool. So what do you think about Addie so far? At one point, she mentioned, like, uh, I, I don't know, she had, like, a conversation with somebody where she was like, well, I was born in the wrong century. Like, she's obviously a more modern person. Right. Her thoughts and wants and needs have always been more modern right? right and it's more accepted now it's just unfortunate she can't like share it with anybody or like actually act on things right so that's funny that you said that because i actually made um a notation you, you know that quote people will say they'll say like oh you you seem like you're an old soul right i think that's the conversation she like, had i feel like it's the opposite for her like she's actually an old soul because she's from Mm -hmm. the late 1600s but she wasn't an old soul when she was back in the past she had more vision and saw beyond what was laid out in front of her so I feel like I like her I just feel like she's really lost Mm -hmm. um this first specifically this first section you can kind of just see like just all the sad situations that she gets into and they will get sadder as we progress, um, as we learn more about her time uh, in Paris, specifically in the next section. But I just feel like she's a lost soul. You're, like, exactly right. When when people even say, I was born in the wrong century, they mean, like, I'm, like, I'm an old soul. Like, I should have been born in, like, the 1900s, right? right? Which I don't understand why. But, you know, personal choices. <laughs> right. But what Addie, what Addie means is, like, she was born in the wrong century. She was born too early because if she was born exactly where she is now, then she wouldn't have had any of these issues. She wouldn't have been married off. She wouldn't have been told, you're dreaming too much. I mean, there are people who are told that even now. Right. You know, if you say you want to be an artist, people are like, oh, starving artist. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case anymore like you can make money doing art you can do graphic design and things like that and i i just wonder like if Addie had the ability to actually live and do those sort of things like be able to go to school and like live up to her potential like what would she be doing like would she be like a graphic designer would she be like you know so that is the first section of the invisible life of Addie larue we are going to split this up into two separate uploads. Uh, so you can listen to part two, which is available now. 
And um, we'll see you there. Stay tuned.